In the name of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. There is a TV show called Grand Designs, which sits in the perfect center of the Venn diagram of my favorite kind of TV shows, British, and my wife Caitlin's favorite kind of TV shows, real estate. Grand Designs. Grand Designs is hosted by a British designer and lovable curmudgeon named Kevin McLeod. There are over 20 seasons of this on British television. In each episode, he follows over a period of several years the story of a person or a family who have designed and are setting out to build a house with a grand design. This is not always the largest house or the most expensive house, but there is always something special about the blueprints, the way the house will sit on the landscape. There's a house built into the edge of a cliff overlooking tempestuous British seas on the Isle of Man or the way the house uses materials, a house entirely made of recycled wood, or the shape of it, there was one built to resemble a snail's shell. One recent episode we watched, a young couple, a man and a woman, set out to transform what looked like an old ancient castle into an efficient home for them and their toddler and their baby on the way. This castle looked like a kind of old miniature castle, but it was actually a structure that a wealthy man in the 19th century, so not all that old for a castle. In the 19th century, a rich man had built it as a playhouse of sorts for displaying his collections of small military items. What remained of this strange building was little more than a pile of bricks in the shape of two turrets of a castle, like two rooks from a chessboard joined together by an arched entrance. Ruins you could imagine children stumbling upon in the woods and using for make-believe games. At the start of the project, the woman was pregnant. The man had decided he would be the project manager of his grand design, and he confidently told Kevin McLeod that they planned to move into the house before the baby was born, in less than six months, with a budget of less than 100,000 pounds. Kevin, our beloved curmudgeonly host, was incredibly incredulous. And what will happen if that timeline or budget is not met, he prodded. Well, that's not an option, the man said. Over the course of the months, Kevin and his crew checked in on the progress and quickly, of course, it became evident that no such deadline would be met and no such budget. The project just seemed to go on and on, more obstacles met along the way. The baby was born and the couple was forced to move out of their rented home and into the woman's parents' house. 
My ears pricked up as she explained that her father was a retired vicar. Her parents' house was small, and the retired vicar and his wife seemed rather eager to have their daughter, son-in-law, toddler, and infant moved out of it. With each visit, the joy seemed to drain more and more from this poor couple's faces. At one point, Kevin interviewed the woman. How is your relationship with this house now? House seeming to stand in for maybe something else, he asked her. And she nearly breaks down and sobs. Wiping away a tear, she answered, I don't know if I'll ever be able to forgive it. Finally, finally, nearly a year over deadline and at about twice the budget, the project was completed. And frankly, it was one of the ones that at the end of the episode, though incredibly impressive and interesting to behold, it was not one that I personally was particularly jealous of. Imagine fitting a house for a baby and a toddler into two miniature turrets, one cramped circular kitchen with a curving staircase to climb, and above it, a cramped circular living room, and in the other turret, bedrooms stacked on top of each other. But at the top, there was a majestic turret rooftop with soaring views of the rolling hills of England. And the couple, as they stood up there with two toddlers now, was totally thrilled. It was exactly what they had envisioned, what they had worked so hard to build. Kevin, as he always is at the end of these episodes, was relieved. Today's gospel story reminds me of this house. In fact, this gospel story calls to mind any episode of Grand Designs. As Jesus says, as for these things that you see, the days will come when not one stone will be left upon another. All will be thrown down. Imagine after all they have been through, if the house that this couple had painstakingly built, painstakingly saved from stones that were left unturned, piles of stones with still a glimmer of hope left in them. Imagine if this was thrown down. Imagine the devastation for this couple and their family. Worse than the normal tragedy of losing any old house, losing the one that you worked so hard to build precisely to your specifications, preserving the remnants of historical architecture and building new purpose out of rubble. When I teach Bible stories to the third graders at Grace Church School, one of the things that I really try to make sure that they understand about the Bible is that it was written by people who were trying to understand why the world is the way it is. And when we understand why the world is the way it is, may we also understand a little bit why God is the way God is. And what about the world were the authors of this story worried about? Well, among other projects of the gospel authors, they were trying to explain to each other why the temple in Jerusalem had just been destroyed. 
the thing that was the center of their lives, the thing they had spent so much time building, preserving, caring, working to keep, was destroyed in the year 70, after Jesus' death, but before the stories of Jesus' life were written down. This is their reality, the destruction of what they thought they understood, what they thought was permanent. And they are trying to understand why, they are trying to explain why by remembering what Jesus said to them. Jesus tried to tell us, you can almost hear them remembering as they write this story down. Jesus said, not one stone will be left upon another. And look at the temple now. What remains when the thing that has held so much of your life is destroyed? What remains? The gospel story seems a bit doom and gloom at first glance, but at the heart of it is a deeply comforting message. Destruction is there, of course, but at the heart of the destruction is the knowledge that God remains. None of these carefully placed stones really matter when God, of course, remains. But how in this do we know where God is? How do we know it is God who comes to us in the destruction? When Jesus says in this gospel story, beware that you are not led astray. For many will come in my name and say, I am he. And the time is near. Do not go after them, Jesus warns us. So how will we know? A story that might help us comes from the Saint Martin of Tours, a bishop who lived in the fourth century. We remembered him last week on the church calendar and we get to see him every week right here in Grace Church. Martin of Tours is famous for his encounter with Jesus. While Martin was a soldier in the Roman army and stationed in modern day France, he experienced a vision, which became the most repeated story about his life. One day as he was approaching the gates of the city, he met a beggar who was shivering, wasn't wearing warm enough clothes. Martin impulsively cut his military cloak in half to share with the man. And that night, Martin dreamed of Jesus wearing the half cloak he had given away. He heard Jesus say to the angels, Martin, who is not yet baptized, clothed me with his robe. By sharing his robe with a beggar, Martin knew that he had met God face to face. The part of the cloak that Martin kept became the famous relic preserved in Tours. During the Middle Ages, the supposed relic of St. Martin's miraculous cloak was carried by the king into battle and used as a holy relic upon which oaths were sworn. And there became a very special role for the priest who carried this cloak around. This priest was called a Capilanu, which turned into all priests who served the military being called Capilani. And in French, that's chaplain, which becomes chaplain. Our word in English chaplain comes from this story of Martin of Tours, 
A chaplain is one who shares their cloak with the one who needs it. But there is a less famous Martin of Tours story, not the one you'll find in our stained glass window, about how we know who is the one who needs it. When Martin was passing through Milan, the legend goes, the devil appeared to him, dressed as a king, clothed in purple, wearing a crown and golden shoes. For a long time, neither one spoke. They looked at each other, and then the devil said, Martin, acknowledge him whom you adore. I am Christ, and I am about to come down upon the earth, but I chose to show myself to you in advance. Martin marveled at this, but maintained his silence. And the spirit spoke again, Martin, why do you hesitate to believe? Don't you see me? I am Christ. Then Martin, instructed by the Holy Spirit, said, Show me your hands. I will not believe that Christ has come unless he is as he was when he suffered, unless he bears the holes of the cross. And at these words, the devil disappeared. Martin knew that we do not find God in the splendor, in the grand designs. We find God rather not merely in suffering, but in the companionship alongside suffering. The care for those who are suffering, the care for those who are toiling. We find God in the work. It can be confusing to us because who among us has not felt God's power in a grand design? We are sitting in one right now. But it is not the bricks, the stones, the plaster itself that holds God, but rather the work, the people, the sacrifices that made this place. Those are where God is. Martin's toiling, Martin's grand design, if you will, was building up the church, not the building, but the people, and especially those on the margins of society. At Grace Church, in the midst of our pledge campaign for 2023, we at Grace Church come together to figure out how we can support this place with our dollars. It can feel like all we are doing is throwing money at a building, a building which certainly needs it. But it is not the stones that we are throwing money at, or the peeling plaster, or even the steeple. It is the people and how we come together to be the church in the world. That is not a message of doom and gloom. Imagine, rather, the comforting words of Jesus' final words in this gospel passage. Imagine how comfortable they would be to the ears of the couple from that episode of Grand Designs. By your endurance, you will gain your souls not by the transformation of the rubble, but by the way you work together in the creation of it. 
May we too be able to recognize God in our lives by our grand designs, the way we care for our place and the ways we care for each other. Amen. <laughs>